Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. You're listening to Let's Talk Portland, Intercom Radio Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. At Dornbecker Children's Hospital, Dr. Don Nolt specializes in caring for children with infectious diseases. She's also the pediatric medical director for OHSU's Department of Infection Prevention and Control and an associate professor of pediatrics at the OHSU School of Medicine. And on the show this time, I'd like to welcome Dr. Don Nolt with Dornbecker Children's Hospital. Hello there, Dr. Nolt. Hello, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. How about you? I'm good, good. Thank you very much. How's the I'm pan- happy to be here. How's the pandemic going in your life? Well, you know, um, I think um, it's now becoming more of a marathon, Gary. Uh, initially, it was a big sprint for about um, four to six weeks, and now things are starting to settle out, but we see um, a long road ahead of us, and now it's become a marathon. Yeah, it kind of does seem like it's going to be around for a while. <laughs> so let's get started on this interview today by talking about what you do at Dornbecker Children's Hospital. Sure. Um, I am a pediatric infectious disease specialist. I am a physician, and I specialize in the care of children who have infectious diseases. So this is kind of your your area of expertise, what we're going through right now. Yeah, I sort of feel like I've been trained for this purpose, for dealing with infections, dealing with outbreaks, and really, you know, Gary, focusing on the care of children and advocating for their needs. And um, it's always so important whenever there's an outbreak to really make sure that medical care and attention is focused on all parts of the population, including our our children. Did you ever imagine in your career that we would have a a pandemic uh, at this scale? No, I don't. I don't think we we. I I would have um, thought that, though. With the pace of things now, Gary, I feel that we're probably going to have something of this magnitude maybe every one to two decades. Um, so this is um, a pretty big trial run for us, and I hope we get it right um, and that we are prepared for any sort of future uh, events that may happen. Why do, you, why do you now think that we might have these more frequently? You know, Gary, um, kind of looking at the last few uh, outbreaks that we have had, you know, this is the um, COVID-19 um, epidemic that has been caused by uh, a virus called SARS-CoV-2, which has to mean there's been a SARS-CoV-1, and uh, that happened in 2002. So that's a big um, uh, epidemic of uh, a big coronavirus. And then 10 years after that, we had something that hit the Middle East. So Middle East respiratory virus, another coronavirus, and now that was in 2000 and. Um, 
about 2009, and then now we have this one. So I think, Gary, if I had my magic ball, I think we might have something in another 10 years. Do you think pandemics like this, or at least epidemics, are, are kind of, um, I wouldn't, predictable is probably the wrong word, but they're, you can kind of figure out that they're going to like be a, coming oh, around. Almost like a cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to sort of learn from the lessons that we've been taught. And so if we see um, a pandemic from this particular uh, viral family, the coronaviruses, if we're seeing something roughly every 10 years, I think we should be be prepared to deal with it. If it doesn't come around and our, our, our um, projections are off, then that's good if we never see it again. Um, but we have lessons that we've learned, and so we should make sure that we're ready to, to um, provide that um, if it comes around again. How prepared do you think the United States and the world at large were for the uh, COVID-19 pandemic? I think that um, it really revealed some real strengths um, in our um, system, uh, not only healthcare, but as a society, um, our ability to um, understand uh, what it means when we say physical distancing, what it means when we say, um, if you feel sick, come to, come to, come to medical care, what it means that, um, you know, what impact you as a person has in terms of hand washing and physical distancing and what that means for the rest of the community. I think it's really highlighted some of the strengths that we as a human race can go, go and do, but also some of the weaknesses that um, we have, particularly with messaging on how important certain things are to control the infection. So I would say in some, um, in some aspects um, of our response, we've done pretty well. In some aspects, I think there's opportunity to, to improve, and I hope we get it right the next time it comes around. With regard to the hand-washing thing, I feel strange if I don't wash my hands now about every, at least even once an hour. Even when I'm home by myself, I'm like, oh, okay, I need to wash my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I think Become a habit. You, um, <laughs> I think that it's always important you know, it's amazing when you see all those studies, Gary, of like people put glow germ on your hands and see how quickly it passes or someone decides to sort of, um, uh, sort of, you know, paint um, a utensil at a, at a community salad bar and then you can kind of see how long that paint goes. Yeah. Um, it is very important um, to hand wash because I think that any way that we can reduce the amount of germs on our hands um, is so important. You know, Gary, it's hard to know, do you mean, you know, wash 10 times a day or 20 times a day? I think you're, what you're saying is, is correct. Like, just wash it whenever you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's become a habit, and I think it's a good That's habit right. to have. I think it's a great habit, yes. We're talking today with Dr. Don Nolt with Dornbecker Children's Hospital. Now, doctor, what's been the focus at Dornbecker during the COVID-19 pandemic? I really think that um, we have been focused on kids. As you know, the pandemic, for the most part, hasn't really um, affected children to the extent that we're seeing with our um, adult patients. But we are always making sure that um, we are prepared for any changes. As you know, this this virus really is evolving. The, the things that have been associated with the outcomes um, continue to evolve and we're learning. So we're just making sure that um, we are our ears and our eyes are very much in tuned in case anything does happen um, in our pediatric population. So even though we seem at this point a little reassured that it hasn't hit our kids yet, we're always on the alert. Are you saying that the, the virus itself is, is evolving or 
are we the the knowledge we have surrounding the virus is evolving? You know, it's hard to say, isn't it? Um, I think that there it might be a little bit of a hint that the virus itself is evolving. Um, to the point that it may be affecting certain populations a little differently than maybe was initially seen in the earlier part of this year um, in China and other parts of the world. So we just want to make sure that, um, you know, as it moves uh, in time, um, as it moves across different populations, there, we don't settle on what we think we know from even four weeks ago, that we're always making sure that um, that we are prepared for anything else that it could throw at us. Yeah, it's been a strange couple of months to, to from what we knew in the very beginning to what we know now. And how has your work, how has your daily work changed from, say, mid-March till now? You know what? I've really um, been much more cognizant about um, how... Um, at the hospital, our uh, roles really are very much intertwined with our pediatric, with our with our um, adult patients, and really making sure that whatever response happens at the adult level at the adult hospitals really taking, takes into account what we're doing with children. Um, as you know, Gary, um, our state has um, asked that visitation at the hospital. Um, be limited to no visitors, but we can't do that with kids. And so to, to understand and make sure we tell our hospital leadership that um, we need to have parents with children, that that has to be um, something that's vital. And so a lot of my efforts have been focused around making sure children feel supported, even if they're not affected by the virus, because they come to the hospital for all types of reasons, right? right. All types of infections uh, still occur. All kinds of life events still occur. But if the children come to our hospital, that they feel supported, and support includes um, making sure the family has, um, has access to all the needs that they need while they're at the hospital. Why do you suppose that the COVID-19 um, hasn't had much of an effect on children, or at least it seems like children are less affected by it? You know, I don't think we under we understand that. Um, as you probably know, a lot of viruses actually um, seem to hit children um, pretty pretty hard, and then uh, there might be some immunity that happens as that person becomes older. This is one of the very few infections that we know of, perhaps the only infection we know of, in which um, it really spares the child and hits the adults. Um, more so, and we don't understand the underlying mechanism for that. But as a pediatrician, I'm very grateful. <laughs> Could you talk a bit about, um, although children don't seem to be getting COVID-19, the effects of, of what happens to a child after they've had it, um, with, I forget what, the, what it's called, but it's the, when the immune system seems to just kind of go into overload. Oh, yes, Gary, that has been um, a very hot topic um, in the pediatric specialists, the medical specialists. Um, so it is, as you said, uh, almost an inflammation or a reaction to the virus. As much as we know now, it appears that several weeks after a child may have a um, infection from COVID-19, and the infection may actually not be that severe to the point that maybe the family didn't appreciate the child was sick with COVID-19. But a few weeks later, the child comes in with quite an inflamed um, system, meaning that um, there is a lot of stress on the heart and the blood vessels and perhaps um, in the uh, intestinal or GI tract. 
And so even though it's fairly rare, we are seeing clusters of it in areas in which there's been a lot of COVID disease. So certainly places like um, in England and Italy, certainly in the United States, we're seeing it in New York. Um, and this is an example, Gary, of of something new that we're learning about this virus. We had had a notion that um, COVID doesn't affect kids. And now we're seeing that it can affect kids and it affects kids in a very unusual way that we have not seen in adults, nor have we seen it previously in outbreaks that have been described um, as was in China. So we're still trying to understand what this inflammation is. Um, and we're talking to a lot of colleagues um, internationally, as well as our wonderful colleagues in New York, to try to um, make sure we are prepared in case we get more of these children that are like this um, in our local area. So much to learn. My goodness. Yes. Is this uh, coronavirus, this COVID-19, is it similar to coronaviruses we've had in the past? Or is, it, is this one just a little bit different? You know, it is very similar to the coronavirus um, that first caused an epidemic in 2002. That um, coronavirus uh, was known as um, uh, SARS-CoV. And now, since it's so similar, there's a lot of what we call homology. We call it SARS-CoV-2. It is similar in terms of its genetic material, but some of the ways in which it presents to people um, are a little different. And I'll give an example. So SARS-CoV, the first one, it appears that you are more infectious and more likely to be contagious to other people as you yourself get ill. So five to seven days after your illness, that's the peak time in which you may uh, unfortunately uh, infect other people. With SARS-CoV-2, the current one that's causing this pandemic, it appears, Gary, that you may be at the most infectious one or two days prior to when you actually show that you're sick. So the virus looks very similar, but shows up a little differently um, in the people that end up getting sick. So there's some similarities, Gary, but then there's also some differences. And so we're always learning. Yeah. <laughs> like I said before, there's a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to people how this COVID-19 is different than the flu? Right. Um, it's a different sort of virus. Um, at this point, um, we know that, well, flu tends to have a very seasonal predominance in that it tends to be in um, the winter season or maybe uh, late fall, winter, and maybe early spring. It has that very clear seasonality. We're not sure, Gary, about COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. We, we don't know that. It certainly showed up in our uh, respiratory season in January and February, but it's unclear if there's going to be seasonality to it. Um, in terms of how it's otherwise different from influenza, um, you know, it, there's a treatment for, for influenza. There is a medication we can use to decrease it. We have a vaccine, but with SARS, um, SARS-CoV-2, we don't have a drug um, against it, nor do we have a vaccine at this point. So it will be very interesting, um, Gary, to see what this upcoming winter will give us and whether or not if someone has flu, can we see if they have COVID-19? Um, can we differentiate that? Or 
goodness, could someone also be infected um, with both of them? So I think that right now we don't know enough to even say how, how much different it is from flu. We're talking today with Dr. Don Nolt with Dornbecker Children's Hospital. Now, Dr. Nolt, can you help us um, come up with some ideas of how parents can talk to what's going on, talk to their children about what's going on? Mm-hmm. I think that children have lots of questions. They really know a lot about what's going on, either through um, maybe talking with um, other parents, if they have some social media interacting with, with their peers. So it's in it's helpful to follow your child's lead. Some may want to talk about it and some may not. And if you ask some gentle questions and they're not really interested, then just, just wait. Um, if they will come to you, then they, they will come to you. Um, Gary, you want to make sure they feel safe, yeah. um, but you want to also make sure that you're honest about what's going on, um, that there are some people in other parts of the country and even parts of the world that are having a hard time dealing with this. And you also want to tell them some ways in which they can be safe, right? We talk about making sure how important it is to wash their hands. And unfortunately, they have to not have play dates or, or too much physical interaction with other their peers. But these are things in which we want to um, have them to feel, feel safe. And to be positive, Gary, just to say that, you know, we're doing all these things and we hope that um, we'll be able to control this virus that we can get on um, with our lives. It's, it's strange enough as an adult. I can't imagine being a child and wondering, why am I staying home from school? Why can't I right. see my friends? Why are mom and dad staying home all day? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, we have to be very honest um, with them and understand that um, and make them appreciate that we have roles, that even if we stay at home or if we have to go to work, that, um, that their parents um, have, a, have a role in trying to... Um, prevent this or make this um, epidemic go away. And no matter where the parents are, no matter where the child is, that uh, hand-watching and physical distancing um, and putting on a mask um, are all very important, regardless of where they are in their lives. Can you help us come up with some uh, ways to, to kind of deal with the stress and anxiety of this pandemic? There's a lot, lot in our heads right now. There are a lot of heads, uh, a, lot, a lot in our heads um, uh, right now. People talk about how you should, as, as much as you can, um, disengage from the repeated um, information about um, the pandemic. It's good to maybe listen to the news a bit, maybe understand some um, local um, ideas, but that you need to um, pull away because otherwise you will continue to um, add to any anxiety that you will have. It's important, Gary, to do the usual things to keep yourself healthy. You eat well, you do exercise, and you sleep well. And it's also important to make sure that you focus on your family, that um, you talk to them about feelings, you talk to them about um, how they're feeling, and just to make sure that it's not all about the pandemic all the time, that um, they're important and there are ways in which we can keep ourselves safe. It's definitely a good idea to unplug from the from the news. That's right. Get get a little update once once a day and then unplug. Mm-hmm. How about uh, a suggestion for people who maybe are alone? Where, are there places for them to turn? 
You know, certainly there are um, a lot of information that can be had and a lot of ways to interact uh, socially through um, the Internet. That is certainly something um, that people have um, asked those who live alone can do, Um, you know, and also just maintaining contact as much as you can. If you can go out and be safe and wear a mask, um, do some exercise outside, see the world outside. Um, but really just making sure that you are not socially isolated. You, you have to be physically isolated, but that you are not socially isolated. Dr. Nold, what is bringing you hope right now? Wow, I see a lot of positivity in um, my colleagues. I'm very fortunate to work with people who are um, driven to help patients, to help each other. Um, what gives me hope also is to seeing seeing the community, particularly here in Portland and also the the rest of the state of Oregon, and how much we have risen to the challenge of um, flattening the curve, and that we understand how important it is to do hand hygiene and and physical distancing and masking. That we at the hospital level, at the community level, at the state level, have really embraced this. Um, effort and that we're seeing results, that we are um, leveling the curve and hopefully we'll be able to see this, this epidemic um, decrease, particularly in our state. It's really encouraging to see when everybody pulls together what we can do. It really is. It really is, Gary. How are you and your family handling all this? You know, Gary, that's a great question. Um, for us, um, as a very small family, uh, we um, make sure that we have time to talk to each other. Uh, that we disengage from um, from social media, that we always try to at least have one meal together that we eat, and that um, we spend a lot of times walking outside and um, really making sure that we feel healthy and that we feel safe. What are some things that you are suggesting to families that uh, to make them feel safe? Maybe things that you weren't suggesting to them a couple of months ago, pre-pandemic. Right. Boy, boy, that's really hard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, to really think, tell thinking back that far, that suggesting now, Gary, that I wouldn't have suggested even um, three months ago would be, you know, don't go on play dates, go, don't go outside and and play with the neighborhood kids. Those are things I would never have thought of, um, you know, three months ago, and now I have to say that. But you know what? We can uh, still exercise outside. We can still greet our neighbors outside just with a wave. Um, and also really understand that um, play dates virtually are very important. And so I encourage kids um, to have to make virtual dates and say, I'm going to see you on Saturday at 1 o'clock and let's do it over the computer or over the phone. Um, so you can't go outside. We can't say that anymore. Um, but certainly make sure that you connect with your friends and your family. So, so important. You know, I never, I, yeah, video chatting every day. Who knew, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Video chat every day. Mm-mm. That is wonderful that we can do that. Yes, that's how about right. How are you feeling about the community support for frontline workers and healthcare workers? How important is that? Oh, it's been really, really important um, to know that um, people really wish us um, the best in terms of when we go out and take care of people. Um, you know, we ha- we see signs as we go up Markham Hill that um, say, you know, thank you to healthcare workers, thank you to physicians, thank you to researchers, things like that. We get um, 
great uh, messages of support through our own um, institutional um, platforms, such as you know our Facebook and our um, and our YouTube site and things like that. Um, it's really helpful because. In some ways, we want to make sure our healthcare workers are not isolated. They don't feel like they're always going out there and um, saving people and not feeling good about it. So whatever the community can do to, to support them, whether it's individually or um, other ways, healthcare workers would be so appreciative. Going out and yelling at 7 o'clock with your pots and pans? Gotta love that. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the last minute or so we have here, Dr. Nolt, tell us how our listeners can help out with uh, everything that's happening at Dornbecker in the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we would be so grateful uh, for any sort of um, support. If you're able to contribute um, monetarily or financially, um, please know that um, it will be well-received and dedicated to areas of the hospital that are uh, dealing with the COVID-19 epidemic. And so there's lots of ways in which you can contribute um, to the hospital and know that um, your contribution will be very well-received and used in a way that would be helpful to uh, our patients. Is there a place like a website, something like that, where people can go and get some more information about Dornbecker and about COVID-19? Certainly. We have a um, what we call an outward-facing um, website. So you can um, put in a search engine to say Dornbecker Children's Hospital or um, our overarching medical facility, which is Oregon Health and Science University. And we have um, tabs that uh, you can reach and click on to give you some education about COVID and also ways that you can contribute. And so we would ask that you go to those sites and and, um, and find out more information. Well, you've been giving us great information today and, and thank you for making us feel better. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. We've been talking today with Dr. Don Nolt with Dornbecker Children's Hospital. Thanks again. Thank you. Let's Talk Portland is an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program. 